Mackie are here for the Geek Pride cast on this Monday evening. With me tonight, as always, we have my co-host, Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our special guest tonight, Johan Noor. Yeah, hello, hi. Thanks for having me here. You are officially our first Swedish guest. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm honoured. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've had many from, from, all, from all around the world, but you're, you're our first Swedish guest. So, uh, Johan, who are you? What's your thing? What do you do? Okay, so I'm a visual artist, I guess, and game designer in a way. I'm um, responsible for the way that Mörkbori looks. And uh, the Cyborg, I'm part of the Stockholm Cartel, and that's pretty much me, though. So. Doing small, small, angry, horrible games. <laughs> I've, I've read, I've played, and read through the Mark Borg game. It is literally a doom metal, the role-playing game. Essentially, it is just artistically, thematically, it is literally names nails the doom metal genre perfectly. Yeah, it's it's not a happy place. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Definitely, but it's fun though. I mean, yeah, you're you're having a good time, but but your players, your play characters aren't. Yeah. <laughs> and like the sidewalk game reminds me of almost a theater Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for those that don't know, what is the Stockholm Cartel exactly? So Stockholm Cartel is basically it's a creative collective, I guess you could call it. Uh essentially it's a group of friends who just uh decided to name themselves and have a logo so and b- because we we started to create uh games and publish them so we needed a sort of name for it and or we will actually call that before we publish stuff but regardless it's a it's a collective of of uh writers designers and idiots who enjoy role-playing games <laughs> pretty much so basically a group of creators all liking role-playing games and <clears throat> you know we could do that Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, you know, we've always, like, discussed role-playing games together and played them, and now we also make them. And so it's not it's not really a company, it's just a group of people. So, and, yeah. Sorry, carry on, Pete. No, go on, Matt. Uh, so I was going to say, so, so explain to me, like, we've seen you a couple of times, uh, the last two UK Games Expos. Um, I think Pete's been up to uh, to talk to you, and I think this time around he had his one, he yeah. had one of your wonderful books signed, which I think he's got with him at the minute. Yeah. Oh, look at that! Nice. <laughs> Borg. <clears throat> so, explain uh, this. Explain the mechanics behind uh, your, some of your games. Then, so how how is it D twenty based? How compared to other RPGs? How does it work? Okay, so if you know, I mean, it's it's an OSR game, and it's kind of based on old school Dungeons and Dragons, and like the way that plays. If you if you are familiar with the way D and D works, you will be familiar with this. So it's a D, it's a D twenty system, very very low like rules light. It's very um, minimalistic. We're not a big fan of crunchy rules, um, and we like to have them kind of vague and open-ended in a way so that you have to create your rulings uh, at the table. So you will not find the um, answer to all your questions in the book. They will have to come as you play, and you will have to make rulings. So, Ooh, But yeah. How, do, how does yeah. that work? Because obviously, I play a lot of war games. I would say mm. you'll see in the background, but you can see those who are watching it live, you can see I've got my Leviathan box set. I play 40K, and the the worst enemy of any sort of kind of war gamer is ambiguity, because there's always <laughs> rules as written and rules as intended and people kicking off about it. So how does this whole deciding on a rule within the game work? 
I mean, that that's pretty interesting, actually, how that differs from like role playing games in general and and board games and I guess wargaming especially because I don't know, it's it's so much more. I think role playing games as it's so much more like similar to theater or like just playing games. I I mean, playing like make believe. I, I I don't think that the rules should ever be in the way of having fun. So. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when I play a board game and I play a war game, that's a totally different thing. Then I agree with you. Like, I will flip through the rule book and like, well, where's the answer to this? And I will <laughs> never, never do that in the role playing game. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, the designer, the, the the publisher and the designer isn't there in the room. Like, they won't, they won't ever like uh, hurt you for breaking the rules or playing it wrong if there's in such way. So. So is there more of a sort of like homebrew angle to it in a, in that you've got a, you've got your sort of basic framework and then it it sort of encourages you to fill in the blanks effectively? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's it's just to push you in a, in one direction. And I was about to say the right direction, but I mean, the right direction is where you have fun. Like that's all that matters. And uh, yeah, we just give our our uh, interpretation of our own rules, but it's up to you pretty much yeah i, I think uh, that, that works because we do a we do a dnd uh campaign have been for the last nearly three years now and um yeah. uh, it's homebrew well it's it's basically the rules are very loose so it's it's like it is it's dnd for the main part and then it's literally just me sort of kind of going um maybe yeah. roll a dice yeah. and we'll see and then uh, uh i sort of uh, the problem you get is we've got sort of some of the new characters have come in two of them dm their own games and they're very clued up on the rules so there's always right. challenges it's like well you wouldn't do that in sort of the original <laughs> rules and stuff and you're like yeah but we've kind of been doing that the whole way through and it hasn't really caused any problems so we'll keep it that way and then sometimes there's a bit of butt hurt because a rule within the D&D manual tells them that they can do this thing. And I'm like, no, you can't do that thing because <laughs> that's not the way we're doing it and stuff. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's one of those things and stuff. But I think it I think- does. Having, I think having that looser rule set opens up more possibilities and makes things easier because you can just kind of go, oh, Pete's just disappeared. Oh, anyway, just disappeared. It's Pete's just disappeared. Um, but and then we'll stick that on there. So. Yeah. seamlessly um, moved off. But yeah, basically, um, if there's rules that are too strict, like Warhammer or like a lot of war games, if they're too sort of kind of like, this is the way it is, people then abuse them. Whereas if they're mm. a bit more flexible, then you can kind of go, well, with that ambiguity, you can sort of kind of go, well, we can just rule for it or we can just do this and we can do that. And there isn't anything solid about it. So you have to make the uh, make a decision on it. And yeah, it's like if you're not expecting to find the rule in the book because it's so vague and it's like it's encouraging you to make up your own stuff, then you won't ever get into that, uh, you know, discussion with everyone. You won't ever have to flip through and like, oh, there's an answer somewhere. And plus, I mean, um, the way that I think role playing game works is that you are, you know, you, you constantly end up in situations that the book can't cover because it's so contextual. Like you, you can't ever have rules for everything. You end up with a you know giant brick of a book. So it's I don't know. It's uh, also as as a GM, I really like to make rulings on this spot. I, I I love when players come up with these 
you know, mad ideas. Yeah. And you have, and you just sit there and like, whoa, like, ne- how do you even think of it? As, and you have to make yeah, a blue. My, my, so, yeah. my group do it all the time to my, sh- yeah. to my absolute chagrin. But it's like, Love it's it. one of those things where you're like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of impressed that you thought <laughs> yeah. about this, but I'm annoyed because I spent yeah. ages sort of kind of figuring this out. It got to the point yeah, that yeah. when I first started the camp, like at the start um, of the campaign, I, I I thought about everything, like every sort of kind of I- interaction and everything. Yeah. I had loads of loads of books and things and stuff written out, and it just got to the point yeah. that they were completely just doing completely different things or going off on tangents and doing all of stuff. Course, that yeah, completely ignored everything that I did, which was like I've just wasted all this time. So I what yeah. I do now is I react. So I basically have a vague idea of where I want to go and what they're going to do, and then. I just have to be on the ball and try and react. And I have right. basically certain things that I might set up for a session and then see how they go. But it's like the last session we <laughs> the last session we had, we had this it was meant to be a simple we had this like had this bit of a not an argument, but this this sort of discussion about me overcomplicating things. I was like, okay, right. So I'm not gonna add in loads of different sort of rule mechanics for a trial that we've got. It's literally just gonna be you say a piece. I'll say a piece. Maybe we'll get a few witnesses. We'll roll some dice and then that's going to be it. And we did the thing and everything went well. And then I had this sort of kind of gotcha moment where the guy who they were, um, the guy who they were sort of um, prosecuting um, turned out to be one of the bad guys who'd been portling around and sending uh, dragon, but, Platinum Dragonborn, oh, the Pete's back. Uh, Platinum Dragonborn into the uh, into the game. So we uh, we had this thing, and they were like, "Okay," and we're gonna. And I was like, "Right." So there's this like crystal in the middle, and I was like, "Right." So there's no way they can fuck with this guy because they have a habit of just killing people and stuff. There's no, I was like, "There's no way they can fuck with him because his hands on the major crystal." I basically told them that this is cracking, and that basically if they don't do what he tells them to do, then it's gonna be game over. So I was like, "I've, I've got it. It's completely." bulletproof and then <laughs> the warlock turned around and went so i cast um i can't remember what it was like it's basically a rock wall thing and it's mm. it's it surrounds it surrounds an object and pushes anybody he's within it back so basically pushed the guy's hand off the crystal put a, a rock formation around the crystal and i was like fuck <laughs> and then they killed him <laughs> and no, i was that's like what it's all about that's the best, that's the best part of it and right? i was that's- just like okay that was kind of impressive so i just went okay yeah. it's not the end of the world and they said well you know we're, we're okay if you want to sort of kind of overrule i was like no it was kind of cool all right fine so they killed him <laughs> and it's sort of like it didn't fully change everything i could do because i can still kind of do what i need to do next but it was just the yeah. fact that they found a way around it and had i not you know i'm, I'm lucky i was reacting to them and not sort of like making stuff up because they would have just done what they usually do and messed my plans up so <laughs> yeah no, I, I mean you were lucky that the rules didn't state exactly what would happen in that scenario like oh you can't do this because then you wouldn't have this you know amazing memory so yeah well, uh, that, yeah yeah and i think that's a very good point and it's like as much as i like and i like like I, i'm really into like old school war games and you know complicated war games me like axis and allies is one of my favorite games of all time and me and my brother would play that for 18 hours straight and you know yeah, love we love all the sort of like you know this the complicated type rule stuff but um the problem you get and you get a lot in 40k and stuff is like people if there's a rule and and if there's a rule and there's a, there's stringent rules about stuff people argue over them and you spend more time arguing about the rule 
them playing the game yeah. and like me and yeah. my friend were playing a it's like um it's called onus which is like a, a rank and flank historical war game with cards which was on kickstarter recently and we were like arguing over this rule for like half an hour like that's not <clears> what it says that's not what it says no. and it was basically the misinterpretation one interpreting the rule one way the other interpreting the rule way we spent eight, we spent most of the night arguing about this one rule and then at the end we just rolled the dice and just decided on the dice roll and stuff but it was like because there was that rule and because it could be interpreted one way or the other it caused issues whereas if it was a bit looser and it was just like you know we'll just sort of go around it a different way and stuff and i think mm. having those simpler rules is actually probably a more of a benefit as much as it, it pains me and i do like my sort of like having simpler rules actually i think works better because you can get through things a lot easier and stuff for me mm. we're doing the um the D campaign if somebody challenges me i just go hashtag homebrew tough and that's just the way it is <laughs> that's just the way it is and it's just it is what it is and, and, and i'm happy to sort of if they can argue a good case and they do well i would have done this because and you shouldn't do this because and i'll go okay fine you can have uh this with an extra rule on it if you want because of that explanation and not because it says in the rules but it's because they made a good argument for why they should have it and i think that's something that's generally missed in a lot of games it's like well in theory i should be able to do this what's the reason for it that's a good reason okay i'll give you a chance to do that and i think that's a good way to do things yeah totally yeah so um one thing i've always wanted to ask about is i mean cyborg Markborg, and your other games have a very i mean they look nothing like any other role-playing game they are distinct yeah that's true i mean I have um, I've had a lot of fun doing this, and I think it all it all sort of started with Mercury and the way and the the way we did that because we I wanted to try and break all the rules that I've been taught in like design school, like when I was when I was because I'm I'm a, I'm a traditionally like trained graphic designer, and so I know all these rules and I've been used to following all these rules that you should do to make a you know proper good book and. This was sort of an experiment to see how far away, how far could I like move away from what's considered, uh, you know, requirements for good design. And and so that led to this very, I don't know, energetic and sort of vibrant book that doesn't want to stay still at any, any time. And it's, you know, it's not everyone likes it. Some people absolutely hate it. And that's fine. But what is it? They, um, what is it? They, have you had any feedback? What is it they don't like? Oh, totally. I mean, we've had so many hate comments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what is and it? And that I mean that that's that's when you that, that's when you you know hit something that works. I think when people either love or hate it because there's there's but there's both ways around it. So uh, some people, you know, I mean, it's hard to read, and that's that's fine. I can totally buy that. You know, it's it's very busy. It it jumps all over the place. There's literally over a hundred typefaces in this book and that's not really super uh, traditional and so i can understand if people have a hard time like parsing what's in it but you know some people just don't like the way it looks they just think it looks like you know uh a kid drew it or something and there i, I have a lot of comments like saved <laughs> when, so it's not about I, the I, game it's about the the art no, style. no no it's about the art style yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. well the game the game as well you know it, yeah. it's not for everyone why did you save the comments? Uh, well, some we used for marketing. 
<laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was so, yeah someone someone was so angry at it that uh, they wanted to set it on fire, which we thought it was hilarious because wow. that's one of the rules wow. that you have to do really? for the world. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's also part of the rules because the world ends, and at the end of the world, you're supposed to destroy the book. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, so it sort of makes sense that, that they were saying that, but. I don't know. I just I just find it very amusing when people get so uh, passionate in their hatred towards a book for, <laughs> for just no reason. And like, yeah, I love, love it. Hashtag so. nerds. That's what you get, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 it's just like, you know, Has it's, that ever come up to you and said that in person or was it purely over the no, internet? No, 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 only digitally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm, still wait, I'm still waiting for that moment. Uh, <laughs> well, there was, there was some guy, there was like two conventions ago where we were standing in our corner selling selling stuff and there was this guy coming up and basically looked at Mark Bori and said uh I could never read this oh this is I don't like this at all I'm like being very honest and I don't know I I appreciated that at least it's like honest that. that's it you know yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as it no hurts at least they're honest <laughs> what yeah. some of the design rules you deliberately broke when designing uh Mark so uh one of them is having basically zero templates or anything like every spread is unique every spread looks different there's a new like structure to the typography and the you know headline hierarchy and everything new the colors are quite similar actually throughout the book but the typefaces constantly change and switch and just the way that um, text and images are presented doesn't follow any sort of any sort of formula the book creates for itself is, uh, you know, eventually, uh, you know, broken. So it ch- it changes and 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 in a way, like it's destroying itself. It's thematically right because the world is ending. So that's also one thing that I was sort of aiming towards. But it's um, yeah. Sometimes you have to flip and turn the book, you know, twist it and everything to read it because it takes this running around along the sides and. Oh, what's it called? There's a book like my friend. Oh my god, who's the who's the author? There's a book. It's the guy who did uh, a co- uh, No Country for Old Men, and um, he also did um, what's a super depressing book slash film where mm-hmm. there it's in the apocalypse and there's like Call up the coffee. Is it? Oh fuck! I what? But basically, the author, it's really bad. I can't remember the author. But he's got a book, <laughs> and I think it's something Leaves, or oh, I can't remember. Oh, it. The House of Leaves. Yeah, yeah. House of Leaves. And it's, yeah, literally, like like, it's literally just got things where you have to flip pages, you have to turn stuff around, <laughs> there's stuff at yeah. the back, there's stuff at it's the like front. It's like that. It's it's similar to that, definitely. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But a bit, a, bit, a bit louder, I think. House of Leaves is still, even though it's like chaotic and ever-changing, it's still kind of elegant in, yeah. in a way, like a, like a novelist. But this is very more, much more like House of Leaves if if House of Leaves was a you know gig poster for a heavy metal you know concert like that, oh, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. Also, one thing I mean, role in role playing games has really evolved over the past few years. It's really come to the fore. Yeah. But Cyborg, especially, really takes it to the next level. I mean, you're looking like a, uh, a page in a role playing game. It's pretty, got nice graphics, but Morkborg, Cyborg. It's the entire book feels like a work of art in it, in and in and of itself. I mean, it isn't. It is an art project in a way. Yeah. That's and that's exactly, what we. Yeah. The, yeah, and that's that's very deliberate. Like that's what we set out to do in the first Kickstarter for Monopoly. We called it an art book you can play because it's we approached it, you know, part, in one way as a game design thing, but also for me, like an art book that just happened to have a game in it, in a way. 
And I don't, I don't think that's very common. Like maybe that's why it stands out so much because usually you make a book and then you have to add art as sort of a decoration to it. Yeah. But this is very much art forward in a way. Absolutely, yeah. Because I mean, and you, especially with freely books, it feels like no, you, you look, you're looking at an art book. Mm. But with more book, it feels much more embedded. The game yeah. feels as and much an art book as much of the game as much as an art book. Yeah, and yeah. it's hard to know where one begins and the other one ends. That's true, and they kind of blend together, and they did so over the creation process as well when we did it. So we would write and make art simultaneously, like and. It's yeah, they sort of mend it into each other, or like yeah, they mix it to each other. What came first, the rules or the art? Or I mean, how did you kind of all bring it all together since the two are so entwined? Yeah, so it started out as a skeleton of what it is now. The the rules, like Pelle, who is the the author of it, the, the rules designer, he had made a simple game at first um, that was. It was basically just two pages. It was just one sheet of paper, both sides, and it was like the rules on one page and, I don't know, like equipment or some classes, I think, on the next. And it was made It was made just as a quick, <clears throat> like, pub game, something you could bring to the con, just have yeah. in, a, in your back pocket. Yep. And then he wanted to make something more out of it. He wanted to make, like, a stapled zine or something um, and mentioned that, and I told him, like, I want to be doing this i want to do the art for it and that's where it sort of evolved like from there it evolved and i i just kept making more and more art it just grew uh we didn't care about page count or anything um like because some of the things in this book are like there's a table of weapons that is just uh, 10 weapons i think and it's four pages because of the art like it doesn't make any sense but it's you know, we had fun and it just grew and eventually we ended up in this 80 page A4 or sorry, A5 um, book thing. And, and, you know, during during the time when we worked on it, um, I had the the bulk of the text that I was working on. And then when I reached a point where I felt, oh, I need more text here. Just can you write a, a segment here? And he would do that. Uh, or if I told him like oh i want to remove this part can we do that and so it was it was very like agile i think the way we worked um yeah i think like this one a few games where literally the art of the book has influenced the rules yeah no that's that's true definitely here as well like i i would i would draw like a monster and pelle would write something about it based on the way it looks and so yeah oh well totally. um has there been any influence where he said i really wanted to kind of do this can you do some art for it or we need art for this uh yes i mean basically the entirety of the text is that from the beginning because yeah. the text came first but yeah uh yeah but i think there were some instances where he would have the uh, like suggestions or something but we had we had very like um free hands both of us so i you know he wouldn't he wouldn't say too much about the way i drew and i wouldn't tell him that much about the way he writes so we yeah we had full faith in each other you know and how long did it take to kind of do from like start to finish it was very fast i mean i can't remember exactly yeah i think it was hang on 
I think we ran the Kickstarter the summer of 2019, and I believe that I started working on it the the in the beginning of that year. Yeah, that's when we started. So it was like half a year or something. So, right, six months. Six months, basically, to do the whole thing-ish, give or take. Yeah. And then by the end of that year, the backers got their books in their hands. So... So literally by, by end of 2019, yeah, that yeah. is a fantastic turnaround. <laughs> and you literally got in just before COVID as well, with all the, that shut down everything. I mean, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was before it all hit that we released it. Uh, we released, we had a release party in, I think it was March, 2020. Oh yeah, that's where we had the release party. And that was like the week before lockdown in Sweden. <laughs> so it all, yeah, I don't know. It was right after that. So it's wild times. Yeah. What Just, was that release party like? It's a lot of fun. It was kind of, I'm not sure how many people there were, but it was, uh, we had uh, a lot of, I mean, there were some people, we had some, a panel discussing loud music, beers, we sold, sold some of the books. We um, read the Doomsday Prophecy and set the first copy of Flame, and then we, <laughs> and then COVID happened. I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, it was, it was fun. And I think I think more games should have release parties. Definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the website for uh, like Morkborg and uh, Cyborg and uh, the artwork. The whole thing is like it kind of reminds me of like an old school hardcore zine in a in a, yeah, in, a yeah. in a way. I love that you know having grown up in the sort of hardcore scene and stuff, and uh, it's awesome. So good. And that's the and that's the kind of environment that we want to you know encourage and like embrace. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We want that, and, and it's that you know, music is super like it, influential here, yeah, yeah. and it's uh, it's it's very uh, central into in how the way we make things. So it's definitely you know hardcore punk and like a lot of extreme metal and that sort of thing. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so okay, I have to ask you: bring up the M word music. What music are you listening to? Yeah, you sure? Oh, I mean, when I, when I'm doing Murkbori, there's a, they're all different flavors of metal. So it's like black metal, death metal, sludgy, doom, <laughs> and drone metal. Love that stuff. Wow. And that sort of tar- that sort of um, g- goes into hardcore as well. It's some it, you know, sludge metal is sort of similar to that in a way. And that's when we made like Cyborg. We were much more into like industrial noise, underground hip hop, and uh, not so much synthwave for being a cyberpunk game which i too like have a different tone to our game but it's a lot of um uh, it's a lot of quite like depressing angry music i've been uh like I, I like my sort of like i like well, I like a, a, quite a lot of different types of music but like one of my favorite bands a band called darkest star it's kind of like thrash mm-hmm. it's sort of it's it's melodic but it's like super heavy so it's got a bit of it's got a bit of everything in it um yeah not sort of like but i went to see pig destroyer in leeds pig destroyer in leeds once and there was a band there and i just couldn't get my head around them i can't remember what they were called i think they were called halo or something but it was two guys Mm -hmm. and it was a drummer and a bassist and the bassist um had this like loads of effects on his bass and all they did the entire gig and like i and i was just like i was just my, my head was completely mashed by it but it was like he would just ring his bass and the drummer would just go boom like that and then they would just sort of hit the bass and then that was it for ages <laughs> and then boom and then this guy and then he would go oh, and, and i was just like 
I, 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 like, I like my I like my heavy music. I really enjoy my heavy music, yeah. but with some structure. But it was just like this, <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know if I could deal with this man because all it was for like twenty five minutes was this guy hitting one note and this boom <laughs> on the drums. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I know. When you talk about sludge, that's what I was thinking. I was just like, is there yeah, is there more to this? <laughs> and especially like drum metal that can go on for like over an hour. One yeah. song is pretty much the same. Yeah. It's, you know, this perfect music to work to. Yeah, to, I, if you write or design. Well, see, I, I I like instrumentals and stuff. Like one of um, I love um like long instrumentally sort of kind of heavy songs yeah. that kind of have ups and downs and stuff like that. Like Darkest Hour, one called Veritas Aquitas, which is like 14 minutes long or something. And it, it's yeah. it, it, completely instrumental. And it starts off heavy, then it goes melodic, then it goes really heavy again, and it goes on. It's just got this whole sort of roller coaster ride. And I can sit there and listen to that song forever. Like, just yeah. fucking love it. And it's uh, perfect to have a spectrum music when you play games as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Since it's so, yeah. so long and sort of, you know, yeah, yeah. monotonous in yeah, a good yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, what bands are you listening to? Oh, me? Um, yeah. I mean, right now I'm listening to a lot of um, uh, Sun. Is That's a good drone drone band. Uh, Vile Creature is a wonderful sludge sludge band. Um, let's see what else. Otherwise, it's like these classic like stoner doom metal uh, bands, oh, yeah. like, you know, like Sleep and Electric Wizard and oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah. things like that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, good stuff. Yeah, when I was reading Cyborgs, I got almost like a very tangible white, early white zombie feel. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a bit. I think Christian Salian, who wrote it, uh, is is much more. Uh, he added his own like references to that as well, and he's yeah. an old like industrial noise goth uh, guy. So excellent. There's a, there's a lot from that scene as well, and I think I I brought maybe. Uh, some of the hip hop and some of the other like noise. He has a lot of noise stuff as well in there. But we we all make playlists when we do this, and we all make oh, nice. like, list yeah list of bands that we have as reference and as sort of guide to when we design. Is that like created over Spotify and shared with each other? Yeah, and we had it when like when we ran the Kickstarter campaign for all the books, we had an official like Spotify playlist. Like, wow, you should that's this really good. Yeah. that's really good. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh. And obviously, you part you the Stockholm cast have partnered up with Freely. How did that come about as well? It was pretty much because I knew them from before because I had oh. done freelance. I had done freelance work, and I used to be back when we released, you know, Simbarum. That game. Yeah. But back when we released that, uh, I was part of a company called Janringen that was later merged with Free League. So I was part of that company. We made Simba Room. I left the company. And then shortly after, they sort of got swallowed by Free League and they became one. And so I knew I knew the guys there. And we thought that uh, if we're going to do Mercury, maybe we should ask them because they know publishing and they can you know get this distri- distributed and so they, yeah they were positive about it and the only the only two conditions they had was that we were running a kickstarter for it to sort of see what interest there were and also that we translated it to english so hindsight it was a pretty good idea that we did that because so so actually so uh freely mandated you have to have a, a kickstarter campaign before the publishing okay yeah yeah just to see, you know, because it was such a wild pitch. Like, to it was gauge so interest, weird. really. Yeah, because they had no idea if this would fly or not. And 
neither did we, to be honest. And we we had very not low hopes, but we were quite, or at least I was quite pessimistic about the whole, the goals. Yeah, because it's like I've always been that way. Like I want to aim low and being realistic. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. Exactly, I'm, I'm the yeah. same. It's just like well, shoot for the moon. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. I, yeah. So, but it turned I mean, out well. Um, again, like you share a lot of your artwork on online. I mean, you make no kind of. You don't have no paywalls. You're shared on social media. Now, have you ever been concerned about like people like almost for want of better stealing your art and using it as, as tattoos? I've known some artists have like you know, found there's kind of artwork that's been lifted off social media and used as someone's tattoo or something. No, I don't. I'm honored if they want to tattoo it. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that has happened, and I I encourage that. Like. It, you can the only thing if you want to use some of my art as a tattoo, just reach out and share a picture. That's it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. I mean, it's I'm not I can't stop you from doing yeah. it. Yeah, like what would I do? So I, I, yeah, I like it. Yeah, because I'm just I'm like um, like vendor friend has kind of like got really ranty uh, one time with how someone has kind of literally just taken a screenshot, used it as a tattoo. And mm. like, oh, and then shared a picture of it on social media, and just got up to steal my artwork, and lots of expletives I, later. I think if you if you are transparent with who made the original, then I'm yeah. totally fine with it. But if you just take it and say, "Oh, I've made this design," then you know that's that's not cool. Yeah, my sister, my sister's an artist. Um, she's called Honor Kitty. For anybody who wants to check it out, she's an Honor Kitty, and um, so she does the sort of um, I would say anime esque. It's sort of um, it's of anime. Uh, anime. Yeah, it's sort of kind of it's female. Uh, I'll see if I can bring it up on the screen for people. Um, uh, but she basically had um some work some. People were basically copying her work and selling prints uh, online mm. for anything. Um, and cool. I, I, was, I was furious. Yeah. I, I was yeah, just like, what no, is this? That's and terrible. It, yeah. And it was just like, and she like had to send cease and desists and stuff because people were like basically uh, selling her artwork and stuff. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah it was, um, yeah, she <laughs> she told me about it. And I was just like, oh my God, this is the worst thing. I actually think I, 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 I like completely not understanding uh, the legalities of it all and stuff. But I, I got onto the police and everything. I dare they do that <laughs> yeah, i mean that, that's uh plagiarism i mean yeah. definitely you're stealing someone's work and i think i mean that if that's if you're if it's a commercial setting then it's a whole different thing yeah. if it's just like your personal tattoo then then I mean, totally yeah yeah you've got some fantastic tattoos have you ever been tempted to design your own tattoos um not really because i wanted the tattoo artist to have you know their take on it because i don't I don't want to treat them as just a printer, so I want them yeah. to, you yeah. know, make them. I, I I come with ideas and then they interpret it, and I, I very rarely have anything to say about it. So I, I think that's what you get do. with tattoo artists and stuff. So I've got um, basically um, full chest piece and left arm and a bit of a right arm. And um, when I was like first the first tattoo I ever got was literally just a carbon copy of a crappy design that I ever did when I was 16. Another one was like, when I was 18 again, I just said to the guy, no, you have to do this the way it is. And it, mm. it's shit. I'm not going to change it because you have to learn from, you know, that's yeah, part of your yeah, history yeah. and stuff. But from that point on, my sister did me some armor for my left arm and I brought it to the guy and he's a really good guy called Danny, really good sort of artist. 
And he said, look, I'm not going to do this exactly the way it is. I'll do it in this vein and I'll add mm. in the key themes, but I would like to do this and I would like to do this. And I'm so glad he did because as much as my sister's design was fucking amazing, what he added into it just made it what it is. Like he added a bit of fabric below the armor yeah. and he did all these, He uh, it was more angular and he made it slightly more curvy and stuff like that. And I was just like, and I sort of tied it into the chest piece and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm so glad that they had his input. Yeah. Kind of thing it makes. Well, yeah. well, cause I mean, you think about it, your sister's kind of like a traditional artist who uses pen and paper and ink and water whilst the tattooist is an artist and is using a different medium. Yeah, 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 completely different and, mediums, and have their own style that they're comfortable with and that they feel yeah. inspired by. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's the ideal thing when you have like a reference piece, and then the tattoo artist can get take you know do their take on it and and adjust it. Um, if the original artist is fine with it, it's always a thing with like when there's when you're collaborating and you're taking one thing and you change it and yeah. But I, yeah. Was was stock was the um, cyborg and Morkborg just like a two like just you and um, the rule designer was other people involved as well uh there were other people but it was mostly as like oh we need to fill this table do you have any ideas for you know the three things that you can find in a gutter or whatever you know things like that that we took on our discord but uh, the the main contributors i would say is me and the the rules designer the 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 author um, and yeah, not to think you created this in the space of half a year. Yeah, is yeah from like was that just do, purely doing that between the two of you, or was like did you have the other, like other responsibilities as well? Yeah, full time job and families and shit. Yeah, this is just yeah. this is just a side thing, just a nights and weekends deal. So it's been, uh, but I think when it came to Mercury, we we were fortunate enough to. F- to end up in like the a flow, you know, a state of flow, or it was just um, w- whatever we made inspired the other, and then what they made inspired us back, and so it was just it was a it was a wild couple of months, but you know, immensely like um, creative and uh, what's the word fulfilling in a way. It's and, only it's only you almost bouncing ideas off of each other and kind of spurring each other on. Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if we did that? What if this was this instead? Could we add this? And then we basically never said no to anything. We just, <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. We never cared about like, oh, will this sell? What will people think? No, screw that. Just make whatever we want to make. And yeah, well, came well, out the way it did. Yeah, because I've spoken to a few authors and they said like, no, never write something that will sell. Write mm. something that you want to write. Yes, yes, definitely. Don't uh, ever think about anything. I mean, think of p- other people than yourself, but t- don't uh, don't make a game for anyone but for you. I think um, it has to be it has to be a game that you want to play, and yeah. if it's true to your artistic vision or how you perceive it, then yeah, you'll create something that is unique. Yeah, yeah. and it, it will show. You can you know you can tell if the people who made the thing hates it. <laughs> you know, if they don't care about it, then yeah, it will lack soul. I think. Um, how did you collaborate exactly? What was that kind of the your process you had for kind of creating it between each other? Mm, basically, I think Boy was like uh, Facebook messages and sending PDFs and reference material, like reference images and songs. Yeah. M- you know, me and Pelle never met physically until we had the book pretty much made. And we we didn't know each other before that. 
Oh wow! It was, yeah, it was a it was kind of weird thing. So, so how did you first meet up, Richard? How did you kind of come like? How did it all so, come about, really? Uh, so we, okay, so the, the way me and Pelle started working together, or like how we even got together, was he had an imprint called Occult Earthmaster Games, which he still does. And it's Swedish for Occult Herbmaster Games, uh, which is also a class in Mercury. But he made small scenes, uh, print-on-demand, uh, in, very, very indie. And... One of the th- and I liked the things that he do- did, and I was like a, f- a follower of of his um, Facebook page where it w- where it was happening then, and and so he posted something about this game called Bark Hexan, the Bark Witch, which was a, a horror game that he wanted to make. Um, he posted just like a picture of like some dark birch trees and a poem that he had written, and said he wanted to make something more of that, and I. You know, being intrigued by the things that he had done before, uh, just posted like, "Oh, hey, I'm Johan, and uh, I would love to collaborate on you with this. I'm an artist." And and so that's when we first started. He said he said yes, and then we started working on that game, and we released that. It was a small print-on-demand scene, just a stapled like 32 pages or something, black and white, all in Swedish. Um, and we liked the way that we collaborated and we worked. And and then nothing happened for a while. And then he did a similar thing where he posted about this game called Mörkborg that he wanted to make something more out of. And I just popped my head in and said, hey, well, you know, maybe I, we can this do it again. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's me again. You know, I like working with you. Maybe we can do the similar thing. Well, and, you know, the rest is history. And so that's, yeah, that's how it was. And we had never met before. We didn't, we didn't know each other. We had, you know, similar, we were in the same sort of Swedish OSR scene, which is very small, but it's so we sort of knew of each other. But uh, yeah, it was we we learned to know each other through Mercury more. What's the yeah. what's the gaming scene like in Sweden? Yeah, I was just going to ask the same thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of small but very much alive, very vibrant. Like there's a lot of small publishers, and everyone knows everyone. Uh, we have a long history of role playing games dating back to like the early eighties. Yeah, with with like Drakkar the Moner, which is now Dragonbane. Yeah, yeah, I've S- just been reviewing that. <clears throat> yeah, so that's that's the sort of that's Dungeons and Dragons for us. We didn't really have that. It existed here, but knew, no one played it. Everyone played Drakkar the Moner, or Mutant, <clears throat> or uh, Cult thing. But uh, you know, oh yeah, remember Cult? That was cult, a great yeah. game. That was a really cool game. Big influence on me. But that that's what we played a lot. As I. I played mutant and cult a lot back then, um, but but yeah, Sweden is. I think. I mean, as of late, it's been more, much more inspired and influenced by you know the international games, big gaming scene, but it still has its own quirks and characteristics. I would say. Did you have that kind of satanic panic against gaming in the eighties that the UK and the US had? Uh, we did. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, that was before, sort of before my time, but yeah. it was, uh, we did have some of that with like vampire LARPing and we had, yeah. you know, the aforementioned cult game. That was the reason that games uh, got banned from the toy stores. Pretty oh, much. wow. Yeah. Because, you know, you would have, you would have role-playing games next to the toys and the board games because yeah. they're for kids, you know, kids play them. And then all of a sudden you had this game cult 
that is super like uh, occult, very dark and greedy. Was the nineties and everything, or like um, early nineties? And then they realized, hang on, what's in this game? <laughs> this is not for kids. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't oh, sell that game to kids. No, no, exactly. And then, oh, of course, you know, all all role playing games are the same. Just ban them all. It's easier that way. And that was the end of that. And. It wasn't until, you know, the last couple of, I don't know, 10 years or something that we've seen a, a, a renaissance again in Sweden. So, yeah. Do you go LARPing as well? Uh, if, if I do. Yeah. No, I, di- I did when I was when I was younger, but uh, that was that was a long time ago. But yeah. there is a big there's a big LARPing scene in yeah, Sweden. Yeah, I was going to ask for like, also like yeah. Nordic LARP is a massive obviously. Yeah. Or just LARPing, like, as we call it, yeah. Well, no, it's like, it's different flavors. And it's like, what's specifically called Nordic LARP is very thematic compared to, which is also vastly different to US LARP and UK LARP. Okay. I'm not that familiar with it, honestly. So, yeah. But, no. but, but it does happen here a lot, absolutely. Yeah, okay. And I just want to ask as well is, when you're kind of first creating Cyborg, hmm. One thing, like, why did you bring back the cult? I mean, cults have been in pretty much every book the cartel have created. <laughs> I mean, um, Mark Walks, but also Death and Space, yeah. which is what you, one of the books you worked on as a designer. Like, again, cults. Cults are there. Love them. I mean, I think it's due, it's, I don't know, we just like them, I guess. And the world is ending. Either, I mean, in Mercbori, in Death in Space, that's a, in Cyborg, it's a, it's a running theme for some reason, I don't know, throughout all the games that we make. Uh, and I guess that in any like apocalyptic setting, there will be people trying to find answers and, you know, salvations or hope or whatever in their you know own s- strange or not religious beliefs. So I guess that's why we get cults because uh, everything's, everything's going to shit. This guy says, you know, that they have the answer, just have to follow and do exactly what they say. And, that's that's why how you end up with that. And you, you mentioned this was as well, like in each of the games, the world is mm. ending in every yeah. game. Yeah, it just happened to be that way. It's <laughs> uh, no, we just have a thing for the apocalyptic, I guess. It's uh, it's just I don't know, living in this world, you know. That's that's how it is. <laughs> it's, just, it's just 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 a mirror of what happens for real, but. Uh, no, yeah. Mercbori, yeah, Mercbori is a bit more like um, biblical calamities and this big, you know, doomsday prophecy. I think Cyborg is more like uh, the actual end times that we're in now with the, you know, uh, climate catastrophe and uh, all that. But and death in space is because, uh, you know, space will, you know, the universe will probably eventually start to contract instead of expand. And so that's this is many, many years in the future. So that's that's what happened. You know, with Cyborg as well, is you kind of got the incident that happened. Mm. But as far as I can tell, having read through the back of, through, through the book a couple of times, you never actually say what the incident is. No, that's up to you. That's that's one of the that's yeah. a, that's a good example of that thing. Like we we call it the incident. We we hint at it's something to do with like rocks falling from the sky, and there's you know they bombed what's now Ground Zero or G Zero, but exactly what's in there no one knows maybe it's you know maybe they opened up a portal to hell maybe it's you know bacteria from outer space maybe it's uh, you know an, an an invasion from from a from a different big corporation or from space i don't know it's up to you whatever you want to do so that i suppose yeah. that within that freedom 
with, with yeah. sort of role playing games sort of really it helps sort of the, the creative juices you've basically given a framework and then they can sort of kind of they can use that framework to sort of kind of expand on it so I, I, that's yeah. a that's a good angle just to have it's like what, whatever you want to do something terrible happened here that ruined everything almost like what is it like you figure it out because then you can't you can't be wrong that way yeah it's kind, of, it's kind of you set like the format for the game and it's up to the players and the gm referee what have what have you to kind of put in do the details themselves it's up to right you. yeah and then you in that if you do that you sort of you co-own in the game you you know you you leave some of the responsibility to the players and the gm and then that it the game becomes theirs they i think the more you get to, or like the more you are encouraged to create yourself, the more you feel like, oh, this is mine now. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to look for official answers for anything. Yeah. When you've been, uh, desi- uh, I suppose, designing your artwork, how what's your process? I mean, do you start with like a blank screen or do you do work on pen and ink first and then transpose it over? Uh, it's a bit different, I think. Usually I'm a big like Pinterest junkie. And so I will go on there and look for reference images and, and yeah. inspiration uh, or like public domain art from lots of museums and such. And uh, sometimes sometimes I sketch from beginning and then I scan it. Sometimes I, I don't. Sometimes, I don't know. It's hard to explain the process really, but I use a lot of references. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. I I base it a lot around the shape of the spread as well with the because I usually design the text and the headlines and everything first and then I take a screenshot of that and take that into Photoshop where I work and so I can like draw on top of the design so that it you know it becomes one with the with the text and the design. Yeah. So it's almost like you block it out first and then start adding right. the detail to design. Exactly. Artwork. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not two separate things. It's it's one thing together. Yeah. What's your view on uh, AI generated art? I was going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I'm. I was uh, in the beginning when it was first like in, introduced. I was intrigued by it. I was like, "What is this?" But then the more I learned the more I despise it now. So now <laughs> I, I am not a fan of that, but I, yeah. Yeah, you came across, an, uh, I think one graphic, uh, graphic designer, design editor, yeah. who said, yes, I, I'm an artist, but I use, uh, AI art and train right. it to how I wanted the design or design to come out of, which is vastly different to someone else. Like, you know, someone like me who is not an artist, coming up with air so coming coming up with art because mm. he kind of like he, he uses a tool rather than as a um art in and of itself if that makes yeah. sense yeah there's a bit it's very <laughs> i think there's a there's a lot of sort of debate on yeah. you know if if it's art or or not and you know, you'll, you'll have people who argue that prompting because like, i like we use chat gpt and work and i use it for uh basic frameworks for D campaigns and, and and stuff like that because i can get it to write something quickly and then i can go in and start changing stuff and make it the way i want it but 
a lot of people, there's an argument that, you know, well, I've prompted it. I'm telling it what I want. It's my idea. It's just mm. creating that thing. But, but it's been trained from very specific yeah, sources. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's you're, I don't think you're an artist if you make AI art. You're a, The prompts that you write, that's art, maybe. You yeah. can call that a weird poem, perhaps. Yeah. But the actual piece, that's someone else's. That's the computer. It's the same thing as if I'm commissioning and you know, I'm commissioning an artist to do something. The the, the brief, the email that I tell the, the artist, prompt. You know, that's the prompt. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know, just because they they provided me with the, an art piece doesn't mean that I am the artist now. I just told them what to do. So, that's and a, you that's also a have good to, analogy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like yeah, you, you also have to consider where the AI learns stuff. And how it learns when it scrapes, you know, the portfolio sites and, well, you've and all see, that stuff. Well, you've seen a lot. There's been some examples of <clears throat> you can see blurred out, um, you can see blurred out watermarks and stuff sometimes. Yeah, where it's obviously yeah. taken stuff from other uh, pictures, and you could see where it's sort of kind of it, it, it's. You can see a bit of a watermark, which it's sort of kind of moved in. I saw some examples yeah. on this, and yeah, it's. Um, it took from I think it was the. Uh, get the images that it yeah, took from. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, and yeah. you can see like the watermarks and they're actually suing, I think, it's Stable AI. Yeah. Because they're, <laughs> yeah, scraping. It. Yeah, because it, it learned from like millions of images without paying license fees. Of course, they just took, took it. So... Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually I'm following it quite with um, uh, big interest. So yeah, it's it's a bit it's a big change. It's just more so like my work because um, we're doing a lot of automations and stuff. And they were like at the start, my boss is like, ah, oh, it's just a fad. It's not going to be a thing. And then now it's like it's a thing, and we're going to be using it. <laughs> and uh-huh. um, it's like not the not the art side of things, but the ChatGPT side of things, just because it can run through documents and there's a lot of sort of bit stuff where we can, like documents will come in and it's a lot, it, it takes somebody has to read them all and then you have to go through and you've got to make points to sort of kind of get the stuff in. Whereas now we can read that document, it can then um, take all the main salient points from that document and then type it out for the user to sort of kind of go, right, well, these are the main points from this document mm-hmm. and it saves X amount of time, which saves money, which means we can blah, 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 et cetera, like that. And um, it it is scary, some of the stuff it can do. Um, I don't think it's in any way um, going to steal anybody's jobs yet, but it is mm, quite yeah, sort yeah. of, yeah. But it it's is a tool. It's a tool like any other. And I mean, I remember one time uh, last year, I asked ChatGBT about Richard J. Edwards of the Manistry Preachers. And it told me, yes, he, uh, Richard J. Edwards is, a, is is the vocalist of Manistry Preachers, which is true. He was 20 years ago. Um, plus. There's a, he's now he's now missing, declared dead. Yeah. Well, this is the thing that it has this thing, and there's a good example in um, the insurance world uh, where I work. Um, they it has this thing called um, not hallucinations. It's called it's, it's hallucinations or mirages. One of the two. I can't remember exactly what it is. Well, basically, what happens is if it can't find something, it makes it up. And we basically so yeah. we had uh, and this is where you it, you it have doesn't actually make things up exactly. Well, no, because listen, it can't because you know, it's computer based. But it will do it was um, derive information. Yeah, exactly. So what, you, what we had was, um, and this is why you should have basically sterile sort of um, 
we ha- the one we're using in work isn't based on the open, uh, basically on the the cesspit that is the it's custom build. Uh, yeah, the internet. It's basically a custom box where we're training it to do specific, learn specific things. So it's not learning from the internet and can start spouting out anti-Semitic things and telling people they should die and how the, you know it's going to take over the world and stuff. But basically, you had one where they did do it with this sort of. Um, like open AI and it had it basically was told that it, it needed to find um some case law um and it couldn't find the case law that it was looking for so it made up case law where it took in the effects other case law <laughs> that had sort of been there and it jammed it together but it did it so um so well and it made it look convincing. so convincingly mm. that it didn't get caught until a paralegal basically turned around and went wait a minute, I can't find this. I can't even remember what case law it was, but I can't find this case. It's not in any of the books. It's not in any of the texts. It's not online. And then they realized that the computer basically got bits from other case law and stuff, stuck it together, but done it in such a way that it felt mm. real. And it basically made up something. And they got to the point where they're like, yeah, don't, you're not allowed to do that anymore. You can't use this as a tool because as much as it looks convincing, it's not always true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, also as well, I think one of the designers we spoke to at UK Games Expo said, there's like, yeah, AI art is great at creating something that's already been created. Right, yeah. It's just, it cannot it create something new. Yeah, copies things, yeah. yeah. I doubt AI art could create this. I, I don't think so. No, no I hope not. Unique. At least it seems <laughs> well, to no. have it, it seems to have a style just, to it. There is like if you look yeah. at AI generated art, you can you can as much as it, some of it is quite impressed. You can tell what it is and stuff like all the yeah. AI generated art I had has this sort of kind of it, it just it feels like it's AI generated art. You can tell that it's AI generated mm. art. You don't get anything like that uh, on there. It's not. It doesn't. I have... think that's just that's just probably just a matter of time. I mean, there's there's already like libraries of uh, different artist styles that you can copy and steal for Midjourney and such. So oh, Midjourney. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll 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 see uh, where everything ends up in a couple of years, but. As of now, uh, there's still a room for humans in this field well, of art. Well, they, they, well, that's it. And it's sort of the scary thing is like they, they're talking about having, um, you know, in the in the sort of not so distant future, having living wages for people because it's going to get to the point that if AI does get so smart, then a lot of admin jobs are just going to cease to exist. A lot of jobs yeah. where you think are going to cease to exist, and people aren't going to have jobs, and they're going to have to be able to be able to support people because like well you've taken our jobs from us by automating things it's the same it was the same obviously with you know the luddites and um when uh the industrial evolution came out you know you know their jobs so they're like they riled against it it's progress of technology but the same thing you know you're going to have ai is going to come in a lot of people are going to lose their jobs there's there's an insurance company in japan which is all ai generated it's uh, all decisions are made by ai there's only a couple of humans there to make sure the ai is doing what it's meant to be doing but it makes offers it uh, sorts out claims it does everything itself they fired everybody they got everyone to the ai and stuff and it's like it's a thing it's a thing it's a thing something something that happens yeah Yeah. and you know i can't 
sort of complain about it because I'm I I'm I'm, I'm innovation and development, so I help sort of help the AI solve what I'm doing and stuff. The enemy, man. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm not part of the enemy. I'm just trying to sort of I, I like my tech, so I'm just sort of kind of doing things. But it's like, yeah, you could see in you know twenty years time. 50 years mm. time well if you think about you know where we were 50 years ago compared to where we are now yeah. and you just yeah. kind of go to the massive jumps like you, you look mm. from like world war Two, even to like the the 60s when we're now we're suddenly uh, on the moon and it's like you know it's like there's such a small gap and then this huge leap in sort of kind of tech and, and when you think about gaming and stuff like i was just watching uh like retro gaming sort of thing on netflix and you think about those old school games you used to play and then I have this gaming thing, which is like no bigger than my hand, and it's got mm. five thousand. It's got it. five thousand yeah. games on it, and they're all the, all the games I used to play as a kid. And it's just like, and they're all basically on this like small thing I have in my hand. And it's just like, yeah, you know. So te- it could be ten years, could be twenty years, but technology is advancing, and it's just a case of being behind it being with it or being against it, and then hoping that the governments that we have respect, you know. Um, are on board to deal with the fallout with it because right. you're, yeah. what you're going to have... Crossed. Yeah, well, that's it. Because no. what you're going to have is a lot of very pissed-off people who aren't going to be, like, you know... Unfortunately, <laughs> the especially... Oh, well, exactly, yeah. You've got a lot of governments that kind of react. There's no initiatives for the future. It's all about what happens well, now. And then suddenly, mm-hmm. when everybody's losing their jobs because AI's doing everything, you're going to go, right, so we've got... We've got, you know, what seventy five percent unemployment. We've got a hundred percent unemployment because AI is doing everything. How the hell are mm. we supposed to do deal with this? And oh, yeah, exactly. we have we have the thought, ocean is boiling. Yeah, yeah, we haven't thought it. about this. Okay, <laughs> now uh, it's all about Thunderdome and fucking, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. So and so, sorry, uh, yeah, no, and so that's why all our games uh, are about the end of the world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and again, like the. Especially Cyborg kind of represents thematically the current of times we are, where we've got multiple, yeah. like, you know, um, significant climate uh, events going on that need to be managed, and we're not. And no. you kind of represented that yeah. brilliantly. And it's like, it's like our, you know, it's us doom scrolling and just living in this world, and this is how we express that, I think. Like, it's impossible to not get affected by it because we're living in it. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, we have the chance to do something now, but we're not because it's it's more convenient and nice to do something else. So uh, yeah, we're just waiting it out and uh, we can play a game about an, another world ending even worse to make ourselves feel better about our current one. <laughs> I, would, I would say on the case for like my, sister, my sister's an artist, so like, I, you know, um, I would say like, if you think about anything that's mass produced, so you think about even the industrial revolution where um, things were, everything used to be made a handmade and therefore it was, um, you know, uh, at a certain price and stuff and then was mass produced it just became cheaper because it was mass produced whereas mm. if you had artisan stuff, so if we had mass produced art work because Midjourney can do or the new AI super artists can do these things, it's not going to be it's it can literally just do whatever whereas a person like yourself or like my sister or something they are an actual craftsperson who's doing something unique 
and it's something mm. that has come out of their mind. There's no prompts other than <clears> themselves. And therefore, I think there might be a higher premium on that because instead of it being a mass-produced thing, well, it'll be... Well, unique sold because yeah. it is unique. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in my mind, that's how you get through. So that's how certain no, people no, you no, get I th- through. I, th- I, think, I think hopefully hopefully that works. And I think you're right. I think there's, there's room for like the artisanal in a way, but uh, it makes it also harder for new artists to emerge and to break break through i think if yeah. they're still you know if they're struggling there wasn't you know before ai you still had to commission an artist uh, mm-hmm. and if you didn't have a lot of money then you maybe commissioned someone unexperienced or someone who was just yeah, starting yeah. but now you know you can just get um art for free making it ai so i think um i think the the industry will have to adapt somehow like we can't we, I'm not sure if we can stop this. Pro- I mean, this thing. No, um, it's very unlikely. Yeah. So we'll just have to figure something out, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you working on new games as well at the moment? I am. Yeah. Um, nothing that I really can announce right now. We have okay. a few things. It's gonna. It's gonna be announced this uh, later this year. So we have. Okay. I can. I can. I can tell you this much. It's gonna be a thing for Murkborg that we're working on. But, okay. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be a book that's going to come before the end of the year. Hopefully, it's done. It's at the printers now, and it's going to be, it's going to be out soon. Uh, okay. What yeah. is so? This is an expansion for Mortal. What does it add to it? Uh, Can you say? I can't say. No, okay. I, just, I want to be a bit secretive there. But it's going to be. Yeah, we. we it's going to be. Uh, you can play it at least. And also working on new things for Cyborg right now. So oh, nice. yeah, at the moment we I have a lot of thing uh, brewing uh, in the pipeline. So <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be more to come. Yeah. And how would you juggle? Like you mentioned that you got a family. You also got the day job as well, and mm. designing games. Yes. And like artwork. When do you sleep? Good question. I have to figure <laughs> out an answer to that. <laughs> no, still, still trying to solve that. <laughs> I feel you, man. I feel you. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say, how, how was UK Games Expo for you? It was great. Yeah, a lot of fun. I was there by myself um, and I, you know, I hung out at the Free League's booth. They were uh, kind enough to give me a whole table for just more boy things. And no, I mean, I love going to cons. I love meeting people, uh, people that you have had contact with or maybe worked with just digitally to just see them, you know, in the physical and to hear that people are actually buying and playing these games. That's 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 wonderful because you get kind of isolated in a way when you sit, uh, you know, in the cold of Sweden in your uh, pretty much basement making these things. So, yeah, going out there in the world and, and seeing that, you know, you actually reach people, that's that's pretty big. Yeah. I keep, keep forgetting there's colder countries in the UK. And then... <laughs> <laughs> How do your family, uh, are your family into gaming as well? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my wife and I, we, we play a lot of board games. Uh, she used to be in our group when we played role-playing games as well. We don't really have time for that anymore. Uh my my kids are a bit too small now. They're two and five, uh, but I have I have played with my five year old uh, two times. So yeah, we're I'm starting to sort of indoctrinate him into this Kitchen. weird yeah. hobby. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do they think of Daddy's artwork? Uh, he thinks it's it's a bit scary, but. Uh, 
uh, he's intrigued by it. He's yeah, right. he, he, he thinks it's exciting. I think it's a good. I don't itch. show him the the, the I, I don't show him the more gory stuff, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not a, yet. It's a good age for it because like I. I like a lot of my sort of kind of more vivid memories as a kid playing um, like the like it would have been the second edition of Dungeons and Dragons um, mm. back in the day, you know, and I would have been six or six or seven, I think yeah. like that, and it was sort of like you know playing Talisman and sort of like you know and just just I can vividly remember the situations and things and just sort of kind of that feeling that I got from those games and stuff, you know. I don't remember yeah. the whole game or anything, but I just remember getting really sort of like sitting down and getting really excited about these games and stuff like that so it's an awesome age for them and stuff you know getting into these things i was thinking yeah, about this the other day like, i was thinking about this the other day it was like um as much as i like you know the, the, the new epics coming out for uh you know, for warhammer and stuff and i fucking love epic and this is like you know as a kid when i was growing up this is like my first ever and i just i'm, I'm like it's like that's it. i was excited but i was thinking about that moment when i got my first box game uh and in games workshop as a kid and i would have been about nine or ten or something like that and that feeling and like built pick it, opening mm. up the box and stuff and i don't get that feeling anymore because i'm an no, adult that, that and sense you, of wonder yeah, yeah exactly. you don't that, get that you, you can't feel it but when you're a kid you're just like the, the world is just like oh my god like this these yeah. all these things and the possibilities within that and it's just like it's a lot more pure and less jaded i guess than it is when you're an adult yeah. and stuff and you're like you know so it's just an amazing age to be I what, think. what's been your kid's response to gaming uh, I mean, my son, he has, he's really into it as well. We played two, two times now. We played uh, Mouse, M- Mouse Ritter. So, oh, yeah. so it's this adventure where they are, they are basically, you know, mice. It's like they have a sword, sword and shield, torches, all that stuff, but they're mice and they fight rats. And, you know, the rats are, are taking prisoners. They're taking the, all the towns, you know, mice to the big cats and everything. And, and yeah, even though it was some time ago that we played, he still comes up to me and like, oh, we have to, we have to finish this adventure. You know, we have to save them before they, you know, before they give them to, you know, Balthazar the cat. Oh, nice. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we have to do that, of course. And uh, I'm, I'm a very kind GM when I play with, uh, with him. So well, yeah, you have to yeah. be, to be fair. I mean, yeah, it's like, I can't just say, no, actually the rules say this. You know, yeah, you die. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they tend to not get very happy when you beat them at games yeah. and stuff. Where it's yeah. like, I, uh, my girlfriend, friend's daughter's five and um she sucks at computer games like she's so bad at them and stuff and you're sitting there kind of like sitting there playing and, and like they're just <laughs> yeah. really badly and you're like Ugh. and i just got to the point that she kept on like she was just so bad at it that i i just kept them i beat her because i was just like cause she kept on wanting to play it over and over and i was like this is not mm. enjoyable in any way shape or form so i got to the point where i was getting so fed up and started beating her just so she didn't want to play it so she didn't want to play it anymore <laughs> i was like this is what happens when you play it <laughs> Get better yeah. or go home. <laughs> yeah, you've got to learn. I mean, um, during the COVID lockdowns, I was doing games for my family. Like, mm. um, like my youngest is like, you know, just you know, he's only he was only three or four then. So I thought, well, my eldest too. And yeah, and my wife as well was brand D and D games. We couldn't go out anywhere. We couldn't do anything. Mm. Let's role play a game where we go somewhere and yeah. do something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What was the, what were the COVID lockdowns lockdowns like for you? Uh, it wasn't. No, we had a we had a pretty strange um, response in general here in Sweden yeah. to to the pandemic. So for the longest time, they were like, "Oh, we need her, her, herd immunity. You need to just go out there." And like, yeah, it didn't really work. Uh, 
So yeah. our our lockdown was, I think, very delayed in comparison to the other countries. So it was more of a recommendation, I think. Than yeah, I heard. Mandate. I heard about that actually. Yeah, yeah, I was reading yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, and it was like oh, it's the same thing with like masks and everything. It was the, it, it took a long time for like the government to say, oh, you should wear them. So I think I think we we really yeah we took we took some like uh, losses for that I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh now they I, I I don't think they really handled it that well actually. I think it, they uh, they messed up messed up a bit. Mm. I mean a lot of governments just just failed, just were too slow to react to it to be honest. Well, yeah. it's standard government. There's it's all reactionary. There's no there's yeah. no there's no preempting of yeah. things like this. It's not like these things have been around before and stuff. It's not like history can teach no. us anything about these things. It's about everything and it's just a case of it's like the war in Ukraine. And it's, it was it was it was signposted since pretty much Putin came out. So since Nineteen so since sorry, two thousand fourteen when, you know, uh you know, the whole the whole thing yeah, the whole thing mm-hmm. went out, you know, it was signposted it was going to happen eventually, but they kind of just went, yeah, but he gives a gas. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, you know. it gives us gas. What if it doesn't? Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's like, we'll just carry on and we'll rely on Russia for all our electricity and gas needs because, you know, right. he's not going to do anything silly. It's not like that hasn't happened in history it's, again. Oh, shit, he did the thing and we've got to react yeah. now. Oh, yeah. okay. And it's everybody's suffering. Thing, always the same thing like hoping that the, the, the bad thing doesn't happen like oh what if it don't you know yeah. we should just keep on going and then yeah. oops it happened sorry you know it's bad it, it, it boggles yeah. my brain what it is. like i love my history and i yeah. i just and i i i sort of read a lot of books and listen to audiobooks and about history and stuff and i just sort of kind of go this stuff's been going on since <laughs> yeah, the, it's since, the same thing the same thing's been going on since like ancient egypt and, and ancient sort of like greece and stuff and they've been doing the same stuff over and over and over mm. and nobody mm. fucking learns from it they just carry no. on doing the same yeah. thing and mm. it's just like it's just like oh, it's just insane that they can't sort of see this <laughs> shit and it's just like and it's more because people are it's pride. It's par- partially it's uh, it's path of least resistance because it's easier just to sort of bury your head in the sand. And that actually brings me on to a, a, a thing. There's a doc. There's a film on Netflix called um, oh, there's something like of G- giving a fuck. What's it called? Uh, it's a it's based on a book and it's basically ah. Uh, well, I'm gonna have to find it on Netflix. A Netflix a Netflix film based on the book. That's gonna be most. Of the no, no. Uh, <laughs> one, giving yeah. a fuck. Uh, what's it called? Oh, a subtle art of not giving a fu- of not giving a fuck. And it's basically about a guy. Um, I know this is a bit of a tangent, but there's a guy who's written the book, and he's he's a met- he was a metalhead. He was sort of like he got kicked out of school, and he was very he felt he was talking about being very entitled and about sort of um, just like the world owed him, uh, you know, things. And he he was doing a lot of stuff, and the whole thing was about accepting responsibility and about sort of kind of moving on and you know instead of just sort of resisting things because your pride makes you and his example throughout it uh is did you hear about that japanese soldier uh during world war ii who was told to go off um by his commander and not surrender and so he didn't surrender until until the 70s and so it was basically so they they got him as a as a part it's a really good sort of it's a book but it's also it's a netflix film but they basically have he's talking about this guy and they got his brother to go out to the the jungle in the philippines to talk to him they got notes from the emperor they got his commander they got all these people to go out and basically say look mate 
the war's over, stop killing, you know, innocent people, surrender, give yourself in, or sort of come back to Japan and stuff. And it was easy, it was all about, it was easier for him to accept that the war wasn't over and that he wasn't killing innocent people because the idea of the war being over and that the people he killed may have been innocent was too hard to deal with. So he just carried on the path of least resistance. And it's all about who eventually he sort of, at the end, when this random sort of... um, uh, hippie turned up in the jungle went hey people are you know the war's over get over it and stuff and he kind of <laughs> he realized that you know he's going to do it but that was all the point of accepting your accepting fault and, and and getting rid of pride and accepting this that you know getting rid of the entitlement and this is what ties him into the government so it's like people just they're just happy to go along the path of least resistance to go along this sort of thing of like well you know it's better just to accept this than the sort of you know i'll i'll not wear a mask and i'll herd immunity is a thing you know it'll be fine and then the shit hits the fan mm. and it's easier just to carry on and blame something else than to accept responsibility yeah. and deal with it properly and yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. so yeah so fun yeah. time yeah there you go it was a massive tangent but it was a good it's it's, it's good it's yeah, a subtle no, art of not giving a fuck we've recorded now for about a few quarters an hour no a few quarters an hour and a half I should say is you know you got a few books lined up for Markborg and Cyborg anything else lined up what, what are you working on and yeah um, I think I think that's the things that I can confidently say is going to happen right. I have a few other projects but uh, they're all sort of vague at the moment so uh, yeah we don't since it's since this is just a, a side thing you know we can't really have that that you know distinct or like set uh, time yeah. schedules you you know we're working on a lot of different things we'll, we'll see which comes first and when but yeah Okay. 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 So uh, it's probably what? What time is it? It's probably at half eleven your time. Are you an hour ahead of us? Or are you two hour ahead? Uh, yeah, it's uh, half past. Uh uh, 11 here yeah yeah okay oh. so we'll not, we'll not keep you too longer then um usually so uh and you can choose to accept this or or, or not if you wish so basically <laughs> at the end of our our podcast when we have a guest we generally do like this uh it's a uh, completely original and not stolen idea um inspired by. So it's inspired by um where we do like a bit of a pop quiz um where you mm. basically we choose a franchise a geeky franchise so it can be i don't know star wars or marvel or or uh um, anything, a sort of geeky franchise that maybe one of the three of us will know about. And then we have, it's like 20 questions. We have to try and guess the oh. character. So, for example, you know, if it was Star Trek and it was Jean-Luc Picard, you go, was he in, you know, is he in the original Star Trek? No, is he? And things like that. So you got to ask those questions to find the character. So have you got a franchise that you're into? I'm not sure. Again, if if you're not, that's not a problem. We we don't have. We can skip this part, but it's worth the ask. Is there a franchise that Ooh. you're into that we may know something, and you've got a character for that we can we can do? It? I don't know really. I'm not really that into like nerd culture and that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, you fucking nerds. I mean, I'm into giving, I'm into giving wedgies and sort of uh, and stuff. Saying, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but, no, but that whole thing, like, I, yeah, you know. My son likes uh, role, uh, uh, superheroes, and right. I know some of that, but I never read any comics like that yeah. before. And, yeah. and we'll, we'll leave uh, it. For, we'll leave it then. We'll not. We'll not sort of. We'll not yeah, subject. Exactly. We'll not subject it. I to mean, you, who um, am I to say I make role playing games? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it always reminds me of 
like uh have you ever seen a film called airheads uh, like um yes i think so yeah. yeah so it's it's got um adam sandler in it steve buscemi um fuck brendan, was, fraser. brendan fraser and there's a bit in it where they're all you know outside and i think they're like owning up to being you know not as rock and roll as they they sort of kind of show it and lemmy lemmy's in the in the crowd and he sort of shouts (laughs) out and said i play D &D." (laughs) and it always reminds me of that it's like you could be rock and roll but lemmy plays D, &D, so it's okay yeah exactly yeah no i'm I'm sorry to disappoint (laughs) (laughs) okay cool we'll we'll leave it there then we'll not subject you to that but it's been an absolute pleasure really really interesting stuff man and all the best um hopefully we'll no doubt see you next year at uh, uk yeah. games expo um but all the best with uh, anything that's come up um what have we, is there any sort of sites or any pages people should go and see um so you can find us at basically every social media channel uh at if you search for M- mark borg or mark Bory or stockholm cartel you know you'll figure it out you, you go- google us you'll find us <laughs> okay 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 look, look for the angry look for the angry reviews <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly yellow book angry skeleton with horns and shit. Yeah. Yeah, you'll, you'll find cool right well for tonight i've been matt gary with me has been peter allison Good night, everyone. And our guest, Johan Noor. Yeah, thank you. Bye.